Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Yes, another massive name. Only went and got one coiling. How are you doing, mate? All right? I'm looking forward to it, yeah. The Gorbals' favourite son I've got written down here. That's right, isn't it? It's, uh, well, that's very true from the Gorbals. I've got to say, the one thing about the Gorbals is it always brings you down to earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I remember coming back up a couple of months ago, and I'm one of nine, five brothers and three sisters, and my older brothers were obviously professionals and very, very good players. Uh, but anyway, we'd been at a function, and we're at the function, it was all people for the Gorbals, great night. And uh, so the chance started chatting about football as you do. And one of the boys that went to school with me, my pal of mine was there, and they said to this company, it was older guys and everything. And they said, Oh, he says only he was he was the best player that came out of the Gorbals. And uh, which I think, all oh, right, that's nice to say and that, you know, very complimentary. And this older guy says, uh, well, I'd have to disagree with that. And uh, so the kind of everybody kind of went about <laughs> and I'm kind of laughing because I don't take myself too seriously. I says, All right, no problem. He says, No, to be honest. I love what you've done. He says, at the end of the day, for the career you had for the size, I mean, I played at 10 stone, I was pencil thin and made the best of what I had, really. He said, so it was sensational what you've done, only. He says, but I've got to say, you weren't even the best player in your own house. <laughs> <laughs> he, right, says, he, he says, your older brother, Joe, and he was. I mean, Joe was sensational. Yeah. And uh, and that's what happens. Sometimes people get a little break at the right time, whatever. But the one thing talking about the goggles it does, it brings you down there. So it was brilliant, really. I'll tell you one thing you didn't get in the goggles. Go on. Shoes like that, they are belters. I love them. Well, that's the ones we used to wear at school because they're that shiny when you put them there. Anyway, that's, a different, <laughs> that's, a, that's for uh, another day. And the kind of show I wanted to make you feel at home, mate. I know how much you love it. Oh, there you go. You I, can spark it if you want. It's well, up to you. Do you know what? Uh, when I I played at uh, when I played at Bolton. There's a factory at Arlington just next to myself, John McGinley, Andy Walker, Stevie Fulton, with a host of, of Scottish lads. And uh, the the chief executive of the factory came in and said, "Listen, would you mind coming and just going around the factory? Because obviously with that connection with bars, I am brewing everything else. So myself, McGinley, Andy Walker, we all went along, met all everybody that worked in the factory. It was brilliant, really nice. And what they did say then is, any time you want any product, just bring your car, open the boot." And they used to shove cases and cases in the, no in the old Scotland's Nationals drink in. So, can I go wrong? Brilliant. And being teetotal, it's always served me well. And I I'll need to go, didn't we, and get the, the Well, morning. I used to mention it because obviously when we, we played at the time, and obviously in the, in the Premier League, as it was the Barclays Premier League at the time, and uh, they used to say after after the game, oh, 
as most managers do, a glass of red wine, glass of wine, bump, bump, when you've won. And I said, well, I don't drink. I said, but obviously I'll have an iron brew tonight, so they get certainly publicity from but, it, that's uh, for sure. Uh, did you ever get any of the players on the iron brew, any of the boys down south, any big players that would... I think they always had, they would have took a wee, uh, they took a wee taste right. here and there. I think they find it quite sweet, isn't it? So uh-huh. they prefer there is a dandelion and bird duck, which, uh-huh. not for me, but anyway, yeah. that's, so we'll leave that to the English boys. Last thing, I mean, you mentioned it there, the Barclays Premier League. I always wanted to ask you, why did you always say that? Because you were named uh, Bartley Salesman in the year 2002. <laughs> yeah, well, what, what we had was, if you, uh, you know, people sometimes are aware of this, sometimes not. So the, with the LMA, the League Managers Association, who do fantastic work uh, for, for, all, for all the managers and coaches and what have you, they obviously, their deal's tied in with Bartley's in terms of Bartley sponsor uh, and some funding is into that. So obviously they used to say to us from the LMA, listen, if you get a, a chance to mention Bartley's, make sure you do it. So it just became natural then that, you know, it's the Bartley's Premier League and myself, I think Mancini at the time, I think he was close behind me in saying it and he was obviously Italian. So there was a number of us at the time, uh, Sir Alex, I think he gave it the odd mention as well. Yeah. So I think we all, uh, Made we, a few we, all, we, all, we all did our bit. No, we didn't make anything uh-huh. personally, <laughs> but the LMA, they obviously kept them in, in the limelight with Bartley's thinking, well, they're really promoting it through their managers. Mm-hmm. So it helped the LMA and that's what it's about. It's helping everybody what else. Oh man. Right, on to the managerial career. We're going to speak about the day. When was it as a player that you thought, this is what I want to do, I want to be a manager? Well, I think, first and foremost, you've got to say that the playing days, they're the best days of your life. If you could just keep playing and playing. No, when you play, you mean, everybody, no. Well, listen, I've seen it a few times and <laughs> I think you're honest in your assessment. <laughs> then. No, far, far from it. You've always got that ability. Uh, but I think you wanted, I certainly did, I wanted to play as long as I could. But I did my, uh, we were quite fortunate because when we were doing the B licence, they actually, they, they did a, Innovative course, if you want to call it, that they actually could do the B license on your day off, a Wednesday. So we used to come every Wednesday to Lesser Hamden, myself, Sandy Stewart, uh, Bobby Williamson at the time, there was a number of us. And uh, so we were able to actually achieve our B license during the course of the season. Right. So, and I think it was only about 22, 23 at the time, Jimmy Boyle was a number of us. And uh, and then that then led you into the, to, to the A license. The reason that was because when I played, I was quite vocal. And uh, so you felt you were kind of naturally coaching anyway while you were still playing. So when the legs give up, then the next transition that obviously is to, excuse me, is to that development into coaching. Because before you're a manager, you're a coach in terms of understanding the game and, and trying to implement your ideas and help different people. And uh, But I wanted to keep playing. I mean, I'd been offered a couple of jobs while I was still playing. But I was fortunate that I joined... Uh, Ian McCall at Airdrie Onions again because I'd been at Airdrie a few times and I came in as his player coach so I was able to learn that side of the game while I was still coaching and not to go away on a tangent but he gave me one of the best compliments I'll ever get Ian McCall I'd been at Dunfermline and uh, <coughs> Livingston were obviously speaking to me at the same time as well I was about to leave Dunfermline and Ian McCall wanted to sign me at Airdrie so he phoned me he says Coyley you need to come and help us and you know we'll get a game at Aloha this was on whatever it was on the Monday I said well listen I'm actually speaking to Livingston David Hay and Jim Leishman were there I said so there's a chance I might be going to Livingston but if not then I'll come and I'll speak to you so anyway uh, the Livingston deal was dependent on David Fernandez, who eventually played at Glasgow Celtic. Yeah, good so player. Wonderful lefty, player. Lefty so Livingston were looking to get a striker in and they had a chance of getting him in. And if they did, then that's who they're going for. But if it fell through, then obviously they'd said to me. So they were very honest up front and uh, with Davy and uh, Davy Hay and Jim Leishman, which I thank them for. Anyway, they actually got David Fernandez. But Ian McCall played his game against Aloha and he phoned me the following day and they get beat 6 0. And he phoned me the following day and says, Coyle, you need to come in, you need to help us. He says, I had you last night. Would they beat 6-3? <laughs> so I thought, well, I knew he was still conceding the 6, but he thought I'd just go 3 yeah. in the game. So actually, that's when I signed for him, became player coach, and did really well and enjoyed it with him. He then went to Falkirk as his player coach, uh, and then when he left to go to Dundee United, he wanted me to go with him then and there at that time. 
But I was really enjoying what we were doing at Falkirk with some terrific young kids and Lee Miller and Mark Kerr, yeah, Colin yeah. Samuel, with some good players, good experience. You know, myself were player coaches, John Henry, big Kevin James, Alan Fair. I mean, with some, with a, and we were a point player at the top of the league at the time. So I said to him, no, listen, I said, uh, he said, well, come in the summer. He said, shake my hand, give me your word. I know if you give me, you shake your hand, then you're good. So I said, I'd agree with him that would come in the summer. So me and Yogi went in as player coaches. We brought Brian Nice in because we were still playing in the pitch. And we only won the league by nine points. I mean, it was I ended up the top scorer in the, in the league that year when the first division played. I was about 37, 38 at the time. Really fortunate. 37, I think. So, uh, But that's kind of how I found my way into uh, to coaching. And then, obviously, uh, when the legs do give up as they did, then I get offered the opportunity to, to be the St Johnston manager. I see, on the player manager thing, because you rarely see it now, is it, is it as difficult as it, as it looks? I, I would suggest it would be very difficult for an individual. You've got to remember there was me and Jogi, there was mm -hmm. two of us, but what we did, we, we knew that we needed somebody on the side of the pitch, because really when you're on the pitch, you've got to be a player. You can't be telling this guy, that guy what you're doing, you've still got to... So I think first and foremost, you've got to be the player on the pitch. When you can get one or two instructions, fine. But I think for anybody, I'm not saying it's not achievable, it probably is, but it's a really difficult task to, to, to combine both at a very high level. Uh, that being said, we, it worked really well for us uh, because we had Brian Rice there to help us and went on to, as I say, win the league and, and, uh, and, and take it from there. See, just on Big Yogi, John Hughes, how much of a character is he? Well, I, I, he has this persona uh, and he is a character, but... Out with that, he's a very, very football-orientated, very forward football-thinking man. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think he's been done a disservice, I've got to say, in the last uh, couple of years. Uh, somebody I've got a lot of time for. I mean, he, he calls it the way it is. But he knows the game. You've seen that with the success. He's won the Scottish Cup at, uh, at Inverness. He's got Falkirk promoted in his own right. Plays a really attacking, and I think, style of football Attractive, people, people it, would yeah. want to see. Absolutely. So I've got a lot of time for the beginning. We still keep in touch, obviously. But yeah, he's somebody I've got an awful lot of time for. Was it for. good cop, bad cop for you and him? It was, it was actually... Uh, it actually worked really well because... Uh, People have this persona, this character of him that, you know, he's just a bit brash and about everything else. And obviously, you know from speaking to me as well, I'm quite intellectual and quite clever. So, <laughs> so I think it's fair to say it worked really well. You won player of the year that year. I did, the yeah. boys still, Could the boys still give you a stick when you were a manager? Yeah, I'm, listen, you're saying that as if it was a thing. It was probably, you won player of the year after, maybe won the year before and the year before that. <laughs> anyway, it, it, it is what it is. The, the playing days, listen, they were brilliant days. But it, it, absolutely, the boys were... I mean, they were good lads. I mean, Millers and Cares, and they were clever, they were witty. Mm -hmm. So, it was, I mean, the team spirit, that camaraderie, whatever you want to call it, that was there in abundance. And, uh, you know, uh, we all mucked down, we all did a bit. And it was, I've got to say, it was, a, it was the last season at Brockville as well. So it was really special. Mm -hmm. And Falkirk, a very, very, a really good club. And, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Spirit. So why did you leave Falkirk? Because well, you say you had a good squad there. Yeah, I did, and I was offered, we were offered the job, uh, both myself and Yogi. Uh, went in with discussions with him. But because I'd given Ian my word that I was going to go to Dundee United. I was never ever going to go back on, on, on my word. So uh, as it happened, I still felt it was important that I tried to get a good deal for, for, for Yogi or you know what, what we were doing. So we did that and then uh, and eventually Campbell Christie's not here now, the chairman, God rest him. Uh, we just had a really good open chat and I said, listen, I've given my word, it's going to be difficult to go back in that. And that's what happened. Yogi obviously took it in his own right. I went to Dundee United to play a coach because I still wanted to play. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they were in the Premier League and, and thought we were denied going to the Premier League because we didn't have last season at Brockville. They said that we couldn't share at Airdrie because the rules at that time, Airdrie would have priority over fixtures. Anyway, they saw Falkirk never get up there in the technicality and not having the stadium ready. And they, uh, and I still want to be at the highest level and Dundee United afforded me that opportunity. So St Johnston was your first manager's job on your own, but I just want to ask, while you're playing, who was the managers that really had an influence on you, that really stuck it? I mean, I, I've been really lucky in my career. I think I, I played under about 
21, 22 managers at different clubs. How many then did you get the sack? Jack Charlton International. Not too, <laughs> not too many, I'll tell you why. Because see when you score 290, <laughs> 297 goals in your career, that means you've scored a lot of goals for managers. Brilliant. Certainly not as many as you, that's for sure. But the, uh, but, but the one thing about that, every manager I work for, because they had different skills and different attributes, but, and it maybe it's a different era, but you were very respectful of, of what they did. You never always seen eye to eye with them. Uh, I mean, I remember them firmly. Uh, never seen eye to eye with, with Jimmy Caldwell in respect of, I was always on the bench, I thought he should be playing, but I was very respectful of what he'd done and everything else. And somebody I liked and somebody I've got a lot of time for. So I think that's uh, that was always important to me, but that's really how you're, you're brought up, what your core values, what your principles are. So as much as a lot of them were very uh, influential in, in, in my thinking, Bruce Reuk was my manager at Bolton. Never seen eye to eye with Bruce Reuk, but I remember when he went to, to Arsenal as a manager, and, uh, and a, a press guy phoned me up from down south and said, oh, we know you don't want to see eye to eye. Have you got anything you know, negative? They, they want me to say something mm-hmm. you know, negative about it. No, I would never, ever do that. And I actually went in and I was very complimentary. But I remember Bruce ringing me up and saying, listen, Coyle, he says, I know it would have been easy for you to you know, say what you wanted to say. He says, but I can't thank you enough. You were a consummate professional as much as we clashed. Because Bruce was very... Uh, <clears throat> Very much strict, disciplinary, nothing else, nothing wrong with that, absolutely. But, and I was quite loud and had a bit of banter and everything else. And, and if I had a player like that, I would embrace that player because I think he knew I would do anything for the team. Because mm-hmm. first and foremost, I was a team player. And, uh, but it, it was kind of, if you want to say a clash of personalities, whatever you want to call it. But again, I had so much respect because his knowledge of football and everything was, was second to none. So, St Johnston job, your first, how did that come about? Well, I went to Dundee United as player coach and uh, I was on the bench quite a lot in the Premier League and as I say, I wanted to play. So I said to <coughs> Colleen McCall, listen, I, I need to play. And he says, right, we'll still take the reserves, but I'll let you go on loan. So I went on loan to, to actually Sandy Stewart, who eventually became my assistant manager. I went to loan uh, him to Airdrie. Uh, Kenny Black, Black, he was his assistant. So I came in, still taking the reserves at Dundee United and playing on a Saturday. And I think when we joined, we were 15 points behind Morton and... Uh, Anyway, a couple of still short, we actually went on to, to win the league by eight points. Uh, I managed to score whatever it was, 12 goals in 15 games, but I had Alan Gow and uh, young Willie McLaren, Jer- Jerome Verai, Sandy some right, very yeah, good players. Yeah. So anyway, we, t- we turned it and we won the league. Uh, and then into the following year, Blackie then was uh, offered uh, to go to, to Leicester with Craig Levine. Craig was going to Leicester and he asked Blackie to join him. So then Sandy was kind of left on his own. So Sandy said, could you not come in as player assistant manager? Which meant I had to obviously leave Dundee United. So I spoke to Collie, who was in the best place because we were doing a really good job with the reserves. But he, he understood. So I joined Sandy as, as, as player assistant manager. And uh, we got promoted. We were doing really well in the first division and everything else. And then three games three, three, three games before the end of the season, uh, St. Johnston changed the manager. Jeff Brown rang me and he said, uh, Owen, would you be interested in St. Johnston's job? I said, well, I've not applied for your job. And he says, no, I know, but you come highly recommended. Your brother played for me. I know your family. I know how you go about things, and I'd love to speak to you in the job. I said, well, yeah, I'd love to chat with you about it. Sandy was actually in the car room at the time when I get the phone call. We'll come back for a reserve game against St Mirren. And, uh, and he says, right, I'll drive down to Glasgow to, uh, to meet you. And I says, well, actually, you don't have to. It was Easter holidays, I think. I says, I'll actually, uh, I'm up in Dunkeld uh, in my lodge. And when I say lodge for everybody to be clear on this, that's a, ho- that's a, ho- that's a holiday lodge. So that's, that's the only lodge I've been in. But anyway, so we had a holiday lodge at Dunkeld, uh, Burnham. So anyway, he says, right, I'll, uh, I'll be out to see you. So anyway, I get I gets in and I said to Kerry, I said, uh, and the missus, it was terrible, rude. torrential rain. I said, you're going to have to take the, the kids out. Jeff Brown's coming for Perth to see me about the St. Johnson job. 
So Kerry's face was like thunder because it was torrential rain. So I'm going to have to get take the kids out in the rain. I said, well, you don't mind. So anyway, we got the kids wrapped up and got the max on and everything else. And she, so she took them out, Jeff Brown's car's pulled in. So he comes in and this is 100% bona fide true story what happened. So as you, as you come in, you open up in the kitchen area and you want to make a good impression as you always do. I said, oh, my Mr. Chairman, do you like a tea or a coffee? He says, oh, I'd love a coffee. So that throws me straight away because all I do is drink tea and we drink tea. So I'm like, right, okay, take a seat. So I put them through and there was a breakfast band in a space in the unit. So I'm popping my head through. Yes, Mr. Chairman. No, Mr. Chairman. At the same time, wait for this tea and coffee. So eventually find the coffee. So two is both sugar and milk. And my, you know, Mark's with a couple of boys been in my house. My mugs are that size. It's no normal mugs because I like my tea. So anyway, we sat down over an hour chatting away about football. Couldn't have went any better. So it finished and he says, listen Owen, I've really enjoyed myself. He says, a really good chat. I'll be in touch with you. I says, brilliant, Mr Chairman, thank you. So he leaves. So I checked my mobile phone, which is on silent, obviously. So there's 12 missed calls for Kerry, obviously wanting back in with the rain and everything. So I phoned her, I said, oh, you can come back in. She said, thank God, I've been round the corner. So she comes in literally two minutes later. And it's that wet that the, the rain's still running down her nose. Yeah. They're absolutely soaked through, Kerry and the kids. She went, I hope that went really well. I says, Kerry, it couldn't have been any better. I says, the only thing was, he threw me at the start. She says, how is she asked for a coffee? Could I find a coffee? Eventually found it and made it. And she looks and says, we haven't got coffee. I says, yeah, we have. She says, that's bistro gravy, you clown. <laughs> so it's gone to the judge and made him a mug with milk and sugar and bistro gravy interviewing for the St. John's. And he still job. gave you the job? Well, I had to phone him up. I phoned straight away. I said, Mr. Chairman, I've got an apology, mate. Bear in mind, Jeff's a farmer anyway. Uh -huh. And uh, not that that's many excuse. And he said, what is this, son? I said, I'm really sorry, that was Bisto Gravy I made you. He says, well, I thought it was a funny time. <laughs> he says, anyway, well, I've got you. I want you off you the job. So brilliant. there was a method in my madness. Uh -huh. And it was brilliant. So see, when you get fantastic. your first manager's job, yeah. uh, is there nerves there? Absolutely. I mean, there's nerves in all. If you don't have nerves in football, you shouldn't be in the game, both as a player, a coach, a manager. Of course there is. But when, and this is the thing, and it's a really good question. Thanks, Nick, As a player, well, I've seen some of your other stuff, so it's a, it's a lot better <laughs> than I've seen before. Uh, <laughs> As a player, you're responsible for yourself. And you know, if you play well, the manager picks you. But as a manager, you're responsible not only for the team, but sometimes a town, a huge city. There's, so it's not something we take lightly. So of course, straight away, the adrenaline, of course, the manager in your own right. But equally, you want to do well, and you want to, you know, things to start and, and move on. And uh, so straight away, everything's running through. You want to implement your ideas and get everything going. But it was brilliant, yeah, I've got to say, it was an exciting time. But see, even like just getting the players together for the first day, and do you think about what you're going to say weeks before, or is it just off the cuff? Well, I, I, well, I've always been, I think you know the points you want to get across, but even when I'm going doing, you know, for, after dinner or whatever it is, I'm never one for, for writing stuff down. I'm, I'm quite, you know, I like to think coming for the gorbos and chatting away, a family, a uh, big family, it comes naturally chatting anyway, and those, I've not, so, I've and, and those, social, those social skills, <laughs> as you do. But... Uh, I think it's important that you want to get your points across, absolutely. So I think uh, it's making sure that you cover them and, and obviously the players know exactly, as far as I'm concerned, uh, where they stand and what's involved and, and how you want to really move on. Because every manager, every coach will have different ideas and that doesn't make it mean that somebody's right or wrong. It just means people have different ways of doing things, mm -hmm. different ways of playing. I mean, there's, there's loads of ways to win a game. People look at, and we're going away on a tangent, forgive me, but people look at Man City and Pep Guardiola and you know, the perfect football they play. But there's more than that way to, to win a game because people might not have the tools at the disposal that Pep Guardiola has so you have to play in a different way uh, You finished second that season behind St Mim how, how would you assess your first season? It was, it was brilliant we were terrific because uh, what we didn't say was that St Johnston team had nearly been relegated mm. from the first division the year before so they could easily have been out of the league uh, So what did you change? We, we changed players we changed the personnel we got players in that we felt we could, could help us to achieve the, the aim of trying to get promotion to, to, to the Premier League where St Johnston 
had been for a number of years, but then they dropped down and been in the first division for uh, for a couple of years more than they wanted to be. So we had to try and change that. And equally within that, then you you know try to change the mindset. You try to get players in that are winners and and, and achieve that. And we brought you know I get boys that I worked with before who I knew had tried and trusted. Big Kevin James came in, Fergie came in. Uh, I got Jason Scotland in from Dundee United, who Good player. sensational player. Mm. And obviously Dundee United had a problem with his, his work permit issue. But uh, when I went to the appeal hearing, which I did, I managed to convince them, uh, the, the six on the, on, the, on the board, that he would offer an awful lot to, to the First Division, which he did. So, in answer to your question, we, we got some good players in, but still within the budget that we had. So we had to use our contacts and everything else that you do. And that's the same. Football's the same game. It's obviously just different levels, levels but yeah. in essence, it's still the same. How important is it? Is it a lot down to the players that you've got here? Yeah, I think uh, you know, managers uh, ultimately will be, will be judged on, on, on the players. You can implement your ideas, and you'll know this as well. But... If you've got a, a group of players that, that know their job and, and, and they're good pros and they look after themselves and they bring it onto the field and they've got that spirit and, you know, there's, it's not just one or two things, there's a lot of things that have always come together. Yeah. I always think when everybody is aligned at a football club, uh, in terms of the owner, the chairman, the manager, that relationship, really important, the players, uh, obviously the coaching staff, the supporters, when everybody's singing for that same hymn sheet, you have a real chance of achieving success. And success doesn't mean that you're always going to be the champions. Every different team of different levels of success. Mm -hmm. For example, Cardiff this year in the Premier League, if they stay in the, the Premier League, that's huge success for Neil Warnock. So there's always, there's always different levels of success. But obviously good players help you to achieve that. Yeah. Uh, second season, Gretna had all the money. Did you always know it was going to be tough to get promoted? Yeah, I think we, 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 we knew it was going to be tough because obviously, the, the, as you mentioned, all the money that, that, that Gretna had. But equally, we knew we had good players. We knew we had a good team. And, uh, and we were actually... That second season, we went to both semi-finals of the cup as well. We played a huge amount of games, but we did that because we quality. We beat so many Premier League teams mm -hmm. in the way, and the semi-final of the League Cup, we lost out after extra time to Hibernian at Tynecastle, and a game that we, we probably felt we should win. And then the, the Scottish Cup semi-final here against Glasgow Celtic, uh, we lost two-one. Uh, I think they went in front with with a penalty Van Hesling, and then Big Martin Hardy equalised, and then we lost to uh, Van Hesling again. I think we were near post header, but last 15-20 minutes. We absolutely you know, bombarded them. Mm -hmm. I think Gordon was the manager at the time. And I remember coming after the game and saying, listen, for a first division team, that's incredible. But we had, we had good players. But after that game, it was the turn of the year. And we were still, I think we were 15 points behind Gretna in January. And we started game by game to pull them in because, as you say, we had good players. We were finished with the Cups. We could focus in the league. And we went on that winning run, winning run, winning run. Culminating, I think everybody knows what happened in the, in the last day of the season. Mm -hmm. uh, just on Scotland, could you tell he'd go and have the career that he did? See that again? Jason Scotland, could you tell that he yes. was going to play? Yes, Jason, had, I mean, I worked with him at Dundee United, uh -huh. so I could see that the quality he had. Jason, obviously, coming from Trinidad and Tobago, had this, uh, he's kind of laid back, back Jason, uh -huh. and, and you felt sometimes you just, you know, want to, I always remember Sandy, my assistant manager, I used to say to Jason, right, Jason, as we do in Scotland, we need you for the first minute, you need, and he used to turn around and say, Sandy, I'll give you 10 minutes of magic. <laughs> and he thought that 10 minutes, don't get me wrong, at our level at that time, that 10 minutes of magic often was enough, mm -hmm. but he just wanted so much more from him. Because when I looked and I'd, I'd be Pizzo, Peter McDonald uh -huh, played alongside yeah. him, and Pizzo was a sensational striker. Peter McDonald not picked up the injuries he had, he'd been a top striker in Scotland all oh, his I days. Tell you, you'll be, I'm yeah, telling you'll you, he was a, a love working uh -huh. with him, he was a gem of a boy, and him and Jason together, when Pizzo was fully fit, he was incredible. And you know those injuries kind of curtailed his career in many ways, because he'd have been a top striker in Scotland, no doubt about it. Another one I want to ask about is, Del McInnes was in the team. Yep. Did well, you see managerial qualities in him? Absolutely, I mean, when I brought, I worked with Derek at 
Dundee United, Derek came back as captain from West Brom uh -huh. and he came into Dundee United and I worked with him there, got to know him really well as a, as a guy as well and where we had that holiday was Dale had won always in the, in the, in the, same, uh, the same estate uh, and I tried to get him six months before I did but he went to Millwall and uh, so he was playing away at Millwall and it wasn't quite working out so I kept in touch with him all the way I said well listen why don't we try and do this for January so we did it, I've got to come in, he came in and you know, he dropped a lot of money to come and play, but I'd said to him, you come and play a coach and you would take the uh, the under-18s with Tommy Campbell and he'd help with the reserves, which he did. And you could always see he'd a, Dale had a great football brain, he understood the game and everything else. And uh, and that was, a, it was always going to be a natural progression, similar to what happened with myself, I think. And you could see it in them. So, you know, there was absolutely no doubt. And then when we, obviously, you'll come to it, but for me, it was just a natural progression when we left that Dale could obviously be ready to step up for the St Johnson job. Yeah. Uh, just on that last day, how low was that feeling? So it looked like Gretna had blown it, obviously. Yeah, going back to that, I mean, we, uh, we had to go to Hamilton on the last day and Hamilton were unbeaten on the AstroTurf all year. Hamilton was third, fourth in the league. They'd been a good side. And uh, and we had to hope that, that, that Gretna didn't win. If they drew and we won, we'd, we'd win the league, coming from 15, point, 15 points behind. But then the Gretna game up at Ross County's arms was delayed by six minutes. Mm -hmm. So they kicked off six minutes behind us. So we started like a house and fire at Hamilton and it eventually won the game. But having won the game, we, I then had to take the players into the dressing room and sit for the last five minutes nice, coming into the game. And Stavo, I had Stephen Mullen as well, who had, was a terrific striker. He was, he was injured that day and he wasn't playing, but he had the radio in the corner. So we were sitting like in a dressing room like this and it's nil-nil. And Ross County had to win that day to stay up as well. Otherwise, they were getting relegated. So Ross County got a corner in the 94th minute or whatever it was and they pushed everybody into the box to try and Squad. score the goal. And uh, Gretton defended it, kind of cleared it and then Stavo says, oh... Uh, Gretna's got a three-on-one gaffer so he's relaying this to me through the radio and um, the boys are looking at me and then they broke away and I think it was wee James Grady who managed to toe-poke it in off the post and Gretna scored in the 96th minute so that's listen football's full of highs and lows and the one thing you've got to be in football is mentally strong so it was uh, as horrible as it was I'm the manager and I just had to say to the boys that we did we thanked them for their efforts what they did that year and make sure when we come back we use that heart to motivate ourselves to push yourself forward for, for next season again but yeah it wasn't a nice feeling that's for sure it was uh, it was hard to take but a good season because big results against Rangers as well that year as you say you ran certainly close what, what is it you do with players maybe a division down to, to give them the belief that they can go and compete against those teams well I, I, I think part of it's what you've mentioned there that having that belief because players at all levels they're, they're good players they're playing at those levels for a, for a reason the players the reason players play at the very highest level which I've been fortunate to be involved in is because those players have the same technical ability and maybe sometimes a little bit more sometimes not but what they have is pace and power and they're able to bring that every week so the guys that play in, in, the, in the second division Scotland when they're at their very best on that day they, 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 they can actually get to that level yeah, yeah, the yeah. issue will be they can't do it 30, 36 games in a row Whereas the boys at the top level are able to, not saying every week, but more often than not, they're, they're bang there at those levels. And uh, even if you look through it, you'll see boys in the Championship in Scotland, as in England at the moment, who have far better technical ability than some boys that play in the Premier League. But the difference will be they won't have the pace and power. And ultimately that's what happens at the highest level. The game gets played quicker and quicker and quicker. And you need to have those qualities, along with the technical ability, to, to get to that level. So is motivation a big thing? I think motivation is a thing. I think also as well as making sure that everybody's at the very best. Mm -hmm. And really, I always felt this as a player as well. It was the opportunity to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with a really good player and say, well, do you know what? I can play a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we went to Rangers in the quarter-final. Uh, we beat them 2-0. Stevie Milne-Savo scored both goals. And we won that game in merit. I think that was actually one of, uh, I think that might have been Paul Le Guin's last last game in charge of uh, of Rangers. Rangers uh -huh. uh, uh, but 
Uh, we went, we won in Merritt, we were terrific on the night, and it was, a, it was a really good St Johnston team. See, when you're putting in these good performances, is that when you started to get wee whispers that interest yeah, down south? I, I, again, it's, it's all relative, isn't it? Because when you're, you're, you're perceived to be doing well, uh, and again, you're only as good as your players are, but when you are and those players are, are producing and you're, you're implementing your ideas, then of course... Uh, people start to say, oh, such and such is doing well and different things, a little bit of press coverage, whatever you want to call it. And obviously I haven't played in England as I did for Bolton for uh, for two or three years. Then, of course, people are aware of you of you down there as well, which always helps. Yeah. I want to ask you, this, what's harder to manage? Uh, a first division Scottish dressing room or the top players? Uh, well, uh, I mean, it's a good question. Thanks because, very much. I'm because again, no, the reason being, because there's, it's all... So it takes all different things because obviously you know at the very highest level the top player the top players for a reason you know because they have everything sometimes when you have players that feel they should be top players I think sometimes that you might get more problems with that and I'll be the first act I'll stroke anybody's ego as long as they're delivering for you in the pitch the problem you'll always get if somebody's ego is bigger than their ability <laughs> then you've got, uh, a, you've got a problem and again that just comes down to managing it and looking to try and get the best from them Is there more carry on in a, in a Scottish First Division dressing? Uh, no, I think I think there's banter wherever you go I mean is we had a right? terrific yeah we had a terrific squad I mean the squad we had at Burnley mm -hmm. who were when we went in I mean the bottom half of the Championship uh, and the, the year we got promoted I mean I think and we might come on to this obviously if we're going to talk but we were I think in terms of budget the bottom three in terms of the budget for the league but what we had was some good players with an unbelievable spirit and you know I think footballers like humour which is very important because it can be the pressure of wanting to be in the team every week and competing against somebody else as well but I think yeah I think there's a lot of humour in the game and of course I was really lucky in Scotland the dressing rooms I was in that there was always really good lads there and, uh, and really enjoyed their company and that bit of banter I think that what's important is to, to understand when it's important to have a good laugh, a bit of banter, mm -hmm. and when it's important to go and work hard and make sure then that you're tuned in and you're ready to do your job. Uh -huh. So when did you first hear of Burnley's interest? Uh, well, just uh, when they, they changed their they changed their manager, Steve Cottrell had been there, he'd actually did well at Burnley, and then it, it kind of tailed off from a little bit. And uh, so I'd get a call then saying that you know Burnley were, were looking to speak to me amongst you know three or four others. And uh, and I had a really good uh, really good chat with Brendan Flood, who was Brendan came in uh, and put a lot of money into the club to keep Burnley, keep Burnley afloat, keep them going, like directors' loans, and uh, they're really good chat with them. Then obviously uh, met the chairman, uh, so spoke with Brendan for about, about an hour and a half on the phone. Met the chairman. Uh, Cup of gravy. Hi. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I think I told him that so you not to ask. I actually met him at Glen Eagle. Glen Eagle to tell him he was up that it was actually international uh, weekend. Uh, it was actually Scotland were. So it would have been 2007, Scotland were just going to play Italy on the Saturday afternoon out here. Right. Uh, Alec McLeish was, the man, was uh -huh. in charge. And if Scotland won, they'd qualified. Obviously, the, the Italy were terrific in the day, I think, and uh, won the game. But uh, So I'd met him at Glen Eagles in the morning and came back. And then they, that went well. So they then wanted a, a meeting with both Brendan and the chairman the following week, which I met them. But I've got to say as well, because sometimes you know, we all need a helping hand in football. And... Alec McLeish had been my manager at Motherwell and somebody I've got so much time for and love playing for him and his man management and everything else. And on the eve of that game, the Saturday morning, Alex actually, Scotland manager, got ready for that game and he actually had the good grace to, to phone Brendan Flood and he said, listen, I've known Owen, I've worked with him, uh, what he's about. So he didn't have to do that. So Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I've done it before myself. I've done it. I mean, I phoned the Bristol City chairman for when Dale was managing Johnston to recommend them for the Bristol City job as you do because when you know there's good people then of course you want to help them when you can great uh, only in football you would get that eh? um, 
You left a week before the Challenge Cup. Were you, were you well, wanting to stay that yeah, week Yeah, I left three days, three uh-huh. days before the Challenge Cup final. Yeah, I, I wanted to see that. I wanted to see the uh, the game through. Uh, we'd prepared for it. We'd, we'd obviously with a starting eleven in mind and everything else. And uh, but they wanted me down on the Thursday because they had a home game against Stoke on the Saturday. Burnley. It was their, I think it was their 125th anniversary as well. So they wanted it. And so I spoke with the, with the chairman Jeff and, and Stuart Duff, the chief executive at the time. And uh, and I said, well, listen, I'll go. Obviously, Sandy's going to come with me. Uh, but Sandy will stay for the game and take the game. And Dell will help him. Although Dell was still playing. I says, and then, so you're in good hands, the team's picked and everything else, mm-hmm. ready to go. And uh, so I left on the Thursday. The boys, obviously, Sandy took training Friday, Saturday and played the game on the, on the Sunday. Is it emotional leaving St Johnston? Uh, very much so. I mean, I, came, I was back on the Sunday for the final. So I played against Stoke on the Saturday. And you went back, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, we, we did, down to Burnley, did a press conference, got the boys ready for the Stoke game and Stoke, were go, they were going to get promoted that year. But anyway, we, uh, we drew the game 0-0. And then I drove right back up and I went up to Dens Park where, for the final against uh, St John's against Dunfermline. And they were 3 nothing up at half-time, the lads, they looked great. But then Dunfermline came back to 3-2 in the, in the second half and last 10 minutes a bit nervous. So, of course, as much as that time I'm the Burnley manager, I'm still kicking in the head in every ball because yeah. I'm desperate for the boys to win. And they've seen it through and it was brilliant. So first trophy St Johnston won in many, many years and I think it just gave everybody a lift and, and everything else. Uh, we've had Sandy on the podcast, he still takes credit for uh, it. Well, to be fair to him, he won some record, 100% record of the manager, <laughs> one game, one win, so he, he likes to, to regale that story, but it was great. And obviously Jeff had offered, obviously said to Sandy about the job, but Sandy says, no, obviously, I thank you, I appreciate it, but I'm going with we obviously own it. I said to the chairman, listen, there's nothing broke here. So we continuity, we're adding to it. I said, Derek's, you know, Derek's ready. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Derek stepped in and, and, and did great. And done great. Uh, see, when you first went to Burnley and you seen the squad that you had, the players that you had, did you think that promotion so soon was possible? Uh, well, when I went in, I went in November of that season. And obviously they were in the, the bottom half of the championship. Right. So they were never going to get promoted that year. So what that year was about was stability, finding out, you know, you know really... Who, who was going to be there with you for the long haul and who you had to, to, to change a little bit. Uh, and again, I mean, you, as a young manager, you're always t- tested. There's always trials and tribulations. And uh, came in, but we hit the ground running. We actually drew 0-0 with Stoke. And then our next two games were Watford away and Charlton away, who were first and second in the league. So anyway, we went, we beat them both. Wow. But what that does is that, that then gives you a bit of time, a feel-good factor, and, and then obviously everybody buying into to, to every, what you want to do. Uh, but then on the January, our, our top scorer at the time was a boy, Andy Gray. Andy Gray, Andy Gray remember him. Andy Gray, really good striker. Richard Keyes, partner. Really high. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. He's a really good striker as well. I could have done with him in his, in, in, in his prime. So, uh, Andy Gray, a really good striker, uh, top goal scorer. But Charlton, they, they played well. And they come to January, they wanted to buy him. And uh, yeah, Alan Pardew was the manager, come on. And uh, I says, listen, Alan, I says, Andy, it'll take two million to, to, to move Andy. And Andy hadn't scored, he hadn't scored them at 10 games. He just still doing well for the team, but hadn't, hadn't scored. Uh, and to be honest, if we were going to get two million, it was, good, it was a good bit of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, cut long story short, it kind of dragged on for a little bit. Eventually, they offered one and a half million plus half a million of add ons. I mean, when I'm doing deals, the add ons have always got to be achievable. You know, it's not in Charlton winning the, the Premier League, it's on how many games they'll play. Something you know you'll get if yeah. the player's fit and healthy. So, uh, that's what happened, Andy. So, we lost Andy, uh, Andy Gray in January. But what I did for the same salary, I went to Sunderland and I, I got Andy Cole on loan. Wow. So, we had the, the money and we were only paying the same salary for Andy Cole on loan. And knowing that Andy Cole would, you know, what he'd bring, he'd, I mean, he'd been a top, top player all those days. And... Uh, and Andy Cole was sensational for us, you know. He, he never got about the pitch as much as he had before, but from 40 yards to the goal, he was sensational. He was he scored one of the best hat-tricks I've ever seen at Queen's Park Rangers. Was he good for the young boys as well? He was Cole? brilliant because he still passed the ball like a Champions League player. So straight away, your training's better. Mm-hmm. You know, he zips the ball, he movement, and players are watching. I mean, young, a young Jay Rodriguez, and these boys are looking thinking, that's how it's done at the very highest level. And he still had the same passion, enthusiasm. And uh, he, was, he was sensational for us, he really was. Just talking about Jay Rodriguez there, obviously you were still playing reserve games when you were at Burnley as a manager. Are you still kicking a bonner? Uh, I still played all the game of five or six. Yeah, I'm obviously right. a couple of stones heavier now than, <laughs> than when I played and when I was able to get about. But yeah, I mean, we could see, you, you can always see good players straight away. And Jay Rodriguez, I mean, he was only 17 and he just shone for the, for the first second. We actually sent him up to Wee Moore, Alan Moore at Stirling Albion yeah, for right. six months to toughen him up physically because, you know, the Scottish game at that level, you, you, you know you're in a game. And he loved it and, and he was great for Murray and did really well. And then when he came back, I felt just to, because I was still relatively fit at that time, that could still get about, that I could play half a dozen reserve games with him, which I did. And he wasn't happy because I outscored them in the six games. But, but what, 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 what it allowed me to do, what it allowed me, that's true, isn't it? But what it allowed me to do was when something happened on the pitch as a striker, to say to him there and then, instead of shouting for 50 yards away, listen, Jay, this is what you need to do differently. You want to keep aspiring to become better and better. And it worked really well. And then obviously I was able to step out and he just continued to flourish, develop. I mean, he's a, he's a quality player. Uh-huh. And Sky Sports, oh, they did one of your games. My goodness, well, they came, we'd, uh, we'd actually get into the, the Premier League and the, the cameras turned up at this reserve game. And I said to the lad, I said, what are you doing here? He says, well, it's not often a Premier League manager plays in a reserve game. I said, no, I'm only playing just to help Jay that. He said, it doesn't matter, we're here to cover it. So, of course, at that age, whatever, I'm 43, whatever age I was, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, don't make a fool of yourself. Uh-huh. So, uh, anyway, the ball came in the first couple of minutes, went to control at halfway line, and it hit my knee, and obviously it went back about 50 yards. <laughs> and I thought to myself, that's when he's sure, look at this, idiot still trying to run about. But as it happens, I was really lucky, just before half-time, get the ball in the box, managed to flick the ball over a couple of defenders, and it sat really nice to a reverse lob over the keeper's head right in the corner. So much so, I think it was the sky goal of the week. So, it, from a personal <laughs> point of view, it turned out well. But the most important point was just getting that message across to Jay. But equally, had I not got that, I know what they'd been showing. So, that's, <laughs> that's what football does. First season, you finished 13th. Uh, in the summer, you bring in some, some good players uh, and you get to the playoffs the next season. Did you think that was possible in that, that summer? 
Well, what we knew is we knew we had to add some some players for the way we wanted to play. I always like my teams to play at high intensity and pass and move the ball and people that are comfortable on the ball and, and play in a certain manner. So having had the money from Andy Gray that we didn't use, we knew we had some money. But also as well, I had Kyle, I had Kyle Lafferty and there was obviously a lot of interest in Kyle. I mean, Glasgow Celtic, Peter had been on, Peter Law had been on for a number of months about, about Kyle uh, going to Celtic and really keen on him. And, and I said, well... Fulham had been in the year before for just under four million. That's the price it's going to be wow. to move them. And knowing that if I got that money, it would help with the, it would help the club with, with some finance. But equally, it would give me some money to go and get my own type of players, uh, and certainly players that, that how we wanted to play. And uh, Kyle had done really well with Burnley in Northern Ireland, and so much so that you know he had a high value. So uh, I like Derek Riordan, who played at Celtic at the time. So Peter was always offering a deal with. You know, money plus Derek Riordan, and and if we could get the right deal, I would have did it because I I really liked Derek Riordan from his time at Hibs and then to Celtic. Uh, as it happens, the, the value was still a little bit short, and I said to Peter, I said, you know, Peter had, uh, I think at the time he valued Derek Riordan at half a million. Uh, sorry, one point two five. I valued him about half a million, so there's three quarters of a million of difference there in the deal. And uh, anyway, cut long story short, I said to Peter, Peter, it's going to have to be a deal. for me. It's three and a half million plus Derek Riordan, or three and a half million plus add-ons, whatever it is. So he says, right, let me come back. So Peter was coming back and forth. But then in the meantime, Rangers rang. And they said, listen, what about Kyle Lafferty? I said, well, obviously, she was interested in Kyle. I said, it's going to take a deal of four million, certainly three and a half guaranteed, plus half a million of, of achievable add-ons, mm -hmm. like when he plays 20, 40, 60 games, whatever it is. So he says, right, OK, leave it with me. So anyway, yep, as they do. So half an hour later, Rangers phoned back and they said, listen, three and a half million plus half a million add-ons for Kyle Lafferty. I said, well, OK, I just obviously I need to speak to my chairman. So uh, I ring my chairman, but also out of courtesy, I'd rung Peter, because it was only fair, because he'd been there for six months. I says, Peter, it's three and a half million plus the half a million add-ons, Rangers. And Peter says, well, OK, Owen, thanks. I appreciate it, uh, you know, letting us know, as you do, because it's important. Uh, but my chairman says, yeah, that's fine, except Rangers deal. So I rung Rangers straight away after that. I said, yeah, they're, they're, the club's happy for that, that deal to go ahead. And that's what happened. But that then allowed us, with Andy Gray money, with Kyle Lafferty money, to pay some money off that they need to be paid in terms of debts. But then we, I bought Chris Eagles from Manchester United. Sir Alex, Sir Alex yeah. was brilliant with me in terms of the deal. I got Martin Patterson for a million from Scunthorpe, who'd scored 20-odd goals in a Scunthorpe team. So he came in, he scored 24 goals for us that season. He was sensational. Uh, I signed big Kevin McDonald. For just well, over, he uh, for uh, just, he'd been brilliant for me, uh, for Dundee, against me at St Johnston for Dundee. He'd been sensational yeah. for just over 200,000. It was, it was absolutely an, an absolute snip. Uh, I ended up getting Big Tomo in, a free transfer from Cardiff. Stephen Thompson. For yeah. nothing. Uh -huh. the, was the Scottish market always something you looked at a Scottish player? Yeah, boys? well, I, well, I think, I, I always think there's a certain type of Scottish player that always does well in England. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Tomo had been doing well anyway. I knew Kevin would adjust and do really well to it. And I mean, big Stevie Thompson. Pound for pound, he's the best sign I've ever made. I got him for nothing. <laughs> but he's, uh, no, big Tomo was... Good about the dressing. He was absolutely well, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, we, we beat... I mean, we would only get promoted, as you know, that season. We actually played 61 games that season wow. because we had fantastic cup runs. But we went to Chelsea, knocked Chelsea. Chelsea had lost one game out of 93 at home and we went to Chelsea, knocked them out of the cup uh, after penalties. Tom was cup-tied because he played at Cardiff the first couple of months. Right. And we were staying, anyway, we went back to the hotel because we were staying overnight. But Tom brought his guitar with him and he actually went into the... He'd done a set for about four... I said to the boys, stay up, have a couple of drinks, we'll travel back tomorrow. A couple of drinks for me, I thought they were going to stay up for an hour. Tom had produced his guitar and he was standing for about four hours. I think Sandy was in the middle of it as well. So, <laughs> uh, so they absolutely loved it, but they damned it. They'd worked really hard for uh -huh. it. And I think that's important as well. When they've worked real hard, they, they get to enjoy uh, what they've done. Uh, so, uh, but that sums Stevie Thompson up because a lot of players were not playing, sometimes they're a bit out of sorts. Uh -huh. Here was somebody that wasn't even playing. 
but he was bringing the guitar and make part of the team and everything. He was Stevie Thompson sensational. I had Brilliant. so much time for him. See, just on the playoff final, how nerve wracking is that? Your whole season as a manager, depending on one game, how, how what's the build up like to it? Well, it's, it's it's funny you say that because ultimately what happened was after we played Reading in the, the second leg of the semi-final the, the players were out on their feet that was their 60th game and you could see they, they didn't have any more to give the thing that we were really lucky was there was two weeks to the playoff final so it allowed us time to prepare so we gave them a couple of days to themselves and then we went to Valdelobo in Portugal where I'd been with Bolton as a player when we won the playoff final at Wembley when I'd scored you know you never asked me about that but anyway <laughs> so uh, and, and, and we'd got to the Premier League as players but so I knew the complex there they had the, the, the pitch like Wembley so we went there and the sun was out and then after the first day and the second day and the players, everyone was back, the zip was back, so they were fresh and, and that allowed us that time to build up. And it sounds bizarre because of the magnitude of the game, but I'd never felt so confident getting into a game to win because we played Sheffield United twice that season. We'd beaten them, we'd beaten them at Sheffield and we had to, Wade Elliott, who eventually scored the winner yeah. at Wembley that day, he played fullback that day because of the injuries we had. That season we used the fewest amount of players in the Championship. A lot of people don't know this. We were actually embargoed in the January because we owed money. Right. So we couldn't sign any players. I just kept that to myself. And obviously, the Brendan Flood, the director, nobody else knew about it because I didn't want it spilling into the players. And then I just needed them focused on the football. And uh, But anyway, that, that going into the game, it sounds daft because Wembley, the, the, what's involved, 100 million game, whatever it was. Uh, but I felt really good about the players. They were in a good place. I could see it was back in the training. And of course the game, there was a couple of nervous moments as there always is, but we were we were worthy winners, we were the better team on the day, absolutely. Best way to go up through the playoffs? Well, if there's a magical way to get promoted, it's through the playoffs, I mean, but that's obviously fraught with danger, because yeah. from those four teams, only one can achieve it. But if, if there is a way to go up, that's the way. Wembley, I mean, Burnley's a town, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Burnley, the, the population is 60,000. Right. There's obviously some surrounding areas that support the club as well. We had 38,000 at Wembley that day to support Burnley from a population of 60,000 it was incredible and uh, and it was just great to see it was it was a special day last question on that I want to ask uh, what's a team talk like before a, uh, a player final well for me the team talk it was a simple one because they'd they'd earned the right to be there so it was for them just to show a continuation of what they did they'd, beat, they'd already beaten them twice they'd beaten them twice in merit so for me they knew they were better than them and it was just making sure on that field that they come off and I always say as well don't have any regrets See if it's a bad decision or a bounce of the ball or something like that. But if you come on, and you'll know this as a player, when you play those games, and I've had some as a player myself, you come off and you think, I should have done better. That's a horrible feeling for anybody to have. So that was it, just make sure you get no regrets. You go and give your very best there, we'll all sleep well at night. And they did, they were, they were outstanding. Uh, that's every week for me. Uh, <laughs> when did you first hear, uh, was it long after that the Celtic offer came in? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, believe it or not, it was, uh, it was uh, the following day. Really, because, right? Well, I think during the, the playoff final, uh, during the playoff final Gordon had, had, had decided to uh, to resign and leave and uh, and obviously you know, you always know that, that clubs are keeping tabs on you anyway so I knew that obviously that, that they had met Peter and I knew that they, they had a high opinion of me and they knew I was doing well and such forth so uh, yeah the, 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 then the day after that obviously I, I was approached And did you speak to them? Yeah I spoke to uh, to Dermot uh, to Peter John Reid was, was uh, the chairman at the time and uh, and I've got to say I went in there and I and, I thought, that's it. I'm, I mean, I'll listen, I'm Celtic through and through, that'll never change. And, uh, and Dermot, we would chat for about an hour, and Dermot came back and said, listen, Owen, uh, I, I want to offer you the, the chance to be my manager of Glasgow Celtic. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll take it. I was like, I was like a little boy again. I mean, it was, it was my team and everything else. And uh, 
And I say it's great, obviously, when you take, you know, as they do, speak to Burnley and see what happens from there and, and everything. And obviously, there was going to be, we obviously had the uh, the celebration and everything else to go through. And and, and so uh, we'd say we'll leave that a couple of days and then obviously we'll, we'll take it from there. But obviously, when you come away and then, uh, what I had to do really was take the, the emotion out of the, out of the decision uh, because Glasgow Celtic, uh, first and foremost, the kids, you want to play for them. And then when, obviously, those days, and I came close to that on a couple of occasions as well, uh, but when then you, uh, you're a coach or manager, then, of course, that's, that's the team you want. That's mm -hmm. the team you love. That's the team you want to be involved with. Uh, but I was in the best league in the world. I was in the Premier League. I was going to be playing against the Chelsea, your Man United, and everything else goes with it. Uh, I was at a really good club with good people as well and I had to be you know, uh, fair with that as well. So ultimately when I came back, we had to go through all that. And I remember ringing Dermot on the, on the Wednesday night, I think it was the Champions League final in Rome, and, uh, and I rung Dermot and uh, I can't say I wasn't emotional, because I was. I says, I never ever thought I'd thought of these words, but I can't take the job. And he says, oh, why is that? I says, well, I says, I just, uh, the league we're in and the Premier League and everything else. And from the family point of view, my kids were obviously young at that age. And then you come back into the, the, and we know sometimes what the environment can be in terms of kids at school and different mm. things. And so on balance, we made that decision and, 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 and that's what it was. And listen, it's my team, it'll always be my team. And, uh, and there we go. Do you regret turning it then? I, I think at, the, at that time, listen, would, if, if, the, if the question is, would you have loved to be manager of Glasgow Celtic? Then of course, that's everybody's dream. But at the time, obviously it was the right decision for, for, for me and the family. And uh, you know, it's still my team. It's still you know every game, I kick every ball with them as well. And you see the job that that, that Brendan's doing and, and Brendan's done and, and what he's doing, and, and it's brilliant to see. Do you think if you never got promoted up to the Premier League that year, you would have took the job? Uh -huh. That's, I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that. Had I got promoted to the Premier League, you might not have been offered the job. Uh -huh. So you know, it's, it's, it's all relative. What I do know is it's a brilliant club, of brilliant people, and Dermot, Peter Law, people I've got an awful lot of time for. And uh, and listen, uh, it goes without saying, it's one of the best clubs in the world. Okay, uh, on to the Premier League with Burnley. How exciting was that going into it playing was, against those top players and top teams? It, it was, you know, exciting absolutely, and it was going to be difficult. It was going to be challenging because the we had, we had the smallest budget ever known to the Premier League. I mean, I signed uh, Fletch, <coughs> I signed Fletch from uh -huh. from Hibs for, for two and a half million, who was outstanding for me. But two and a half million, you think, was an absolute bargain. Uh, but even Fletch came in, he was our highest paid player, I think 12 grand a week for the Premier League, which was, was absolutely nothing. Uh, but what we had, we, we kept continuity with the players. We added one or two, but I felt it was important that those players that earned the right to be there got the chance to show they could be Premier League players. And uh, and, and they were terrific for me, I've got to say. I mean, I, I had 10 games at home in the Premier League, obviously before we, we left to go to Bolton in January. We'd won five, we drew four, and we only lost one game at home. That's with uh, Burnley in the Premier uh, League. You know, we'd turned... Beat Man United, didn't you? We'd, we did. Yeah, uh, Alex first, well, that was the first home game of the season. And uh, and Sir Alex Fergie, Sir Alex had been brilliant with me with the Chris Eagle signing. And he watched our team and he kept on sending texts during the year. And then after the playoff final, he says, listen, Owen, it's absolutely sensational. He says, there, you get a good side there. Build. He says, but just remember when I come visiting, I want a nice couple of bottles of red wine. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm thinking, right, okay, great, bum bum. He says, I'll send you my wine magazine, make sure you get Anyway, <laughs> I, 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 as you <laughs> do, it was scrimping. But anyway, so as, as you do, uh, uh, our first home game of the season was against Manchester United, the champions coming to Turf Moor. So uh, it was the second game of the season. We went to Stoke on Saturday, we lost 2-0 to two set plays, incidentally. Mm -hmm. A long throw for Rodi de Lamp in the corner. But the good thing about that game was we were terrific in the game, so I knew they could handle the Premier League right. as much as we lost 2-0. So it was a lot of, lot of lessons to be learned, but it gave us a lot of confidence. 
Anyway, coming into this game, you're thinking, well, okay, if we get anything off top, it's great. Uh, but that morning, I'd say to Dan Bentley, who's still there, Dan's a great lad, I said, listen, Dan, you need to go into the town and get me those two bottles of red wine uh, for Sir Alex and his staff when he come. I need to make sure they're looked after, they'll be great for me. So where we went, it was like five, six hundred quid, whatever it was. But anyway, wow. uh, he'd, he'd been really good to me, so it was well worth it. So uh, anyway, we got, but when he came back with two bottles of red wine, bear in mind, I, I, I'm teetotal, I don't drink. I actually went to put the two bottles of red wine in the fridge. <laughs> and only he was there, I said, what are you doing, you mad man? I says, what was wrong? He says, you don't put that in there, it's got to breathe at room temperature. Yeah. I said, right, okay, and he had the wine notes and all that. Imagine I, Ferguson's face if you did well, that. Well, exactly, so right I started reading through these wine notes and I think, I wonder if I could carry this off. But anyway, I decided <laughs> to bend them, think they wouldn't. But as it happened, you're right, we went out, we won the game 1-0. Robbie Blake, who was sensational, scored a wonder volley. And uh, we won the game, we were terrific in the game. And, uh, and Sir Alex's staff came in, Sir Alex is brilliant, came in, they were there about an hour and a half chatting away. Uh, it must have been good because they both they drank both bottles of red wine, so yeah. it must have been good stuff. But uh, aye, there you go, they'd been in the fridge, had, had they not been there to tell me. Leaving for Bolton, that must have been a tough one. Obviously, Bolton you played for, was, was, yeah. that, the, was that the big pull? Well, I remember saying to Brendan when, when, when I came in, I said, listen, Burnley gave me the opportunity. And I said, there's only two clubs that will probably ever turn my head if I'm doing well. Glasgow Celtic, who's, who's my team, I say he's in Bolton because, because I played for them. And what happened was uh, in the, the November, we, we, sta we started drawing. We started drawing one or two games I felt we should have won. And then in December, and I said to, to Brendan and, and Barry Kelby, who was the chairman, I said, listen, I need a couple of experienced players in January. And the club, because obviously the, when they got promoted, a lot of the money went back to the director's loans because these directors, to be fair to them, had put a lot of their own money into the club. So they, it was only natural they got their, their loans back, their, their money back. So that didn't leave a lot of room for manoeuvre in respect of where Burnley were. So I said, but anyway, come January, I'll need these couple of players. I can't guarantee you will stay up, but it's best I can. If I get these two Premier League players with a bit of know-how, we, we'll stay in the league. Who were they, do you know? No, I had players in mind. Oh, right, okay. It wasn't the individual player, it's what the cost was going to be. be right. I still had a couple of young ones lined up, you know, Jack Wiltshire coming from who eventually came away to Bolton, oh, but I had yeah. one or two. And anyway, uh, but uh, Brendan, to be fair to him, was uh, his company, he was going through a difficult time in that, so we were really dealing with the chairman. And they said, well, we don't really have any scope for, for, for bringing players in on. And so, anyway, I carried on, carried on. So it got to that point that maybe I thought I was being taken for granted, I don't know, but Bolton changed manager. Uh, Gary, Gary Megson had left. And then obviously they came with the, the approach to myself. Now I knew the club, I knew what was there, and I knew the squad they had. I mean, they were second bottom of the league and one of the favourites for relegation. So again, I, I went into a meeting and asked, could I get these two players? Because had I got them, then I, I would have stayed mm -hmm. at Burnley. But I never got them. And then, so I'm not saying my, my hand was forced, because ultimately I'm the one that made the decision. Yeah. So uh, I did. And uh, my disappointment was that when I left, there was a, a, the kind of, you know, as they do, you've got to protect your club. I get all that. They kind of turned it that, that I'd left and was kind of made to look probably in a bad light when nothing could have been further for the truth. But anyway, it is what it is. My, my dad always said, if you're not getting anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So I kept my own counsel and, and, and let it go for there. But what I did, as you know, I went into Bolton and kept Bolton up with nine points. Never spent any money. I brought Jack Wiltshire in loan. I got Stuart Holden in the Bosman. I got Vladimir Weiss in on loan from Manchester City. Never spent a penny. And, and kept them up with, with nine points to spare. Unfortunately, what the sad thing was, obviously, Burnley then went down. So, uh, but that, that, for me, that was the sad part because, I, I mean, I've still, I get so much time for Burnley, I would never say a bad word about them. I love them a bits and still keep in touch with a lot of people there. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's great to see, obviously, the job that, that Sean's done and, and how they're doing. What was more appealing about the Bolton job than the Celtic job six months earlier? Was it the Premier League? It, I think because then I was in the Premier League, I realised what it was all about. 
And, and the other thing from the uh, with Bolton, I knew Bolton had some really good players there. I think uh, we felt that we could go in and prove them, keep them up. I didn't know at the time when I was in that, that they already owed over £100 million pounds to, to the owner Eddie Dave. But anyway, that, that was that was a side issue. Ultimately, you have to deal with it as you go. But uh, and, and, and that's what happened. And that really, the Premier League's the best league in the world. You know, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you, you've got big clubs, you've, you've, as we say, Glasgow Celtic is one of them, but you've got your Barcelona's Real Madrid, good individual teams, and but the actual league itself, the Premier League, and as it was at the time, the Barclays Premier League, it was uh, that's it's 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 intense, it's quality, and it's it's a fantastic level of football. Were you surprised at the furore? There's a big word for you of the reaction of the Burnley fans when you went to Bolton because for the outside the rivalry doesn't look that big. Yeah, sort of Scottish people, but I I, th I think part of it was that the and I, I totally understand this that I think Burnley felt if I was going to leave it was going to be for uh, for, for a huge club in the Premier League uh, because of how well we done it and I've got to say. The, the Burnley fans, as much as I'm back there a couple of times to play against them, and they didn't miss me, I've got to say. But while I was there, listen, I can't thank them enough for, for what how they got behind me. The, the song, I mean, every game, they used to chant for the manager, which is unheard of. It's, Burnley's a special club. I mean, for the size of the town, you don't see a Liverpool top nor a Man United. They're Burnley through and through. And you see that, you see it now with, with Sean, uh, you know, how they've tapped into that. And, and it's... It's an amazing club and a club I've got so much time for. But because they've been so kind to me, I totally understand that when you went, they could turn on you like that. I, get, I, I, I understand that. I don't agree with it, but I, but I certainly understood That's what, is it. Is that the frustrating as a manager? Fans have got quite short memories because obviously you did such a great job there. And then, Yeah, well, well again, I think you know, ultimately they, you know, they felt that you were there and you were part of their fabric and everything else. So they probably felt that I'd let them down in, in, in that respect. So I can kind of understand that a bit. But anybody I meet and chat through with them, they certainly understand. And I think you want to have, they're always thankful for that. I mean, the quality of football we played, the way we played, the cup runs we had. I mean, uh, we should have been in the final of the, 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 the League Cup that year. Uh, Tottenham, uh, we, we played home and away. And they beat us 4-1 at White Hart Lane, I've got to say. We are one nothing up at half-time. Gareth Bale played in the game at left bank. Chris Eagles absolutely tormented them. Right. Won the half time. Spurs had five attempts in the half. Things scored four. An own goal, a deflection. You couldn't make it up. But when we came back to Turf Moor, talking about team talks and everything like that, uh, I'd said to the boys before the game, we'll win this game tonight. Guaranteed. I knew we'd beat Tottenham at home. I said, I can't tell you we'll beat them 3 or 4 0, but we'll win the game. So anyway, we went out and we actually won the game 3 0. So any other competition in world football, you're in the final. Know, huh? But in the League Cup in England, away goals oh. don't count until after extra time and with 90 seconds left extra time Pavlichenko that was the two strikers Pavlichenko to four Pavlichenko hit one and big Brian Brian Jensen the beast got a hand to it and it just went in off the post anyway they, they went to the final that year but the, we then went to play West Brom and, and big Tony was in charge Tony Mowbray who were a Premier League team on the Saturday in the FA Cup and won, won nothing down early but were brilliant in the game and I remember saying, saying to Sandy 90 second minute I says Tell you what, it doesn't matter how this finishes. The boys have been brilliant. They're ready now for the for the league to pick themselves up. Because I thought there might have been a bit of reaction to losing the semi-final. But we actually scored the ninth Martin Parson, forced the, the draw one each, and then we brought West Brom back to Tough Moor and we beat them 2-0, 3-0, and won the game comfortably and knocked them out. Another Premier League team. But what that lesson told me was the boys were ready to go in this challenge to get to get promoted, which they did. Great job you done. Uh, on to Bolton. When you first took over, did you think it was possible to survive? Obviously, you wouldn't have took the yeah, job. Yeah, we took the job because we felt we'd keep them up. And, uh, Do you know about the players that you had? Yeah, I mean, Gary Cahill, we, we, and players, you'll know this as well, cause you, obviously, but when you look at players from the outside, you think he's a good player, mm. but not until you get to work with them on a daily basis do you understand how good they are or, or how good they're not. And Gary Cahill, was, he, was, 
the defeat of a centre forward. He was quick, he did about everything. Kevin Davis, the skipper, was, was up the top. You're seeing the goals. I mean, Bolton had some good players. Johan Almander, mm-hmm. even Klasnic, did some wonderful players. And you were still playing. Give us a Klasnic story, I love it. Well, you we were still went playing to, reserve. Yeah, well, we, we went to Open Cliftonville's Park in, in Belfast, uh, invited over, and I wanted to take a a decent team too, they get a good crowd and because you always, I always felt you always try and help uh, people in football as people have done with me and uh, and I was playing in the game with even Klasnitz, Croatia, I mean, Croatian striker, outstanding yeah. player and Sandy, obviously assistant manager, I'm, I said to Sandy, I'll, I'll play 60 minutes and then take me off and you'll put somebody off, bump, bump, bump and uh, so anyway, I'm playing about 60 minutes and Sandy shoots, right, Coily, off and I hadn't scored yet and we're winning, I says, hold on a minute Sandy, give me a couple of minutes, he says, you're coming off so anyway, uh, He's a couple of yeah. So as that, as that happened, Klasnitz rolled the ball to the edge of the box. And as any good strike will tell you, when you take the ball away from the goals, the keepers automatically going to come with you. As they can move forward, I always love reverse chipping them. And uh, don't get me wrong, I was at 40 or whatever I was, 45 at the time, 44. So I've took it away, reverse chipped at the top corner, and Klasnitz looked at me and said, I don't believe that. You are a lucky, lucky son. I says, Ivan, that's just quality. I says, anyway, Sandy, that's me. Some, <laughs> and, uh, and managed to walk off. So it was brilliant. And brilliant. It's all, it's all, listen, the playing days are the best days of your life. When you get a chance to play, it's absolutely brilliant. Great. I wanted to ask you about Wilshire. Obviously, what was the connection? You said you were going to take him to Burnley and then you eventually got him to Bolton. Well, I, I'd, seen, I'd seen Jack for a couple of years playing all through the Arsenal. And I spoke to him. I had a really good relationship with Arsene Wenger because when I came into to Burnley, we got drawn against Arsenal in the, in the FA Cup uh, at, at Burnley. And we beat them, they beat us 2 0, sorry, but we played really well. And Arsenal went in the press and said, Burnley belied their championship status. They'd pace, power, their technique, the football the manager wants to play. It was lovely to watch. And then uh, in the following October, we played them in the quarter final of the, the Carling Cup before we played Spurs. And, uh, and we beat them 2 0 at Tough Moor. And Big Kevin McDonald scored both goals. Big Kevin was outstanding. And Arsenal went into the press after that and said, oh, they're the poorest team we've played this year. Because, <laughs> because, but that was Arsenal uh-huh. because we beat them. But I had a really good relationship with him and I'd said to him, oh, listen, I really like the, the kid. He says, yeah, he says, I think he's ready to play. He says, but I've got Fabergas, I've got Danielson, I can't really get him in. I said, well, give him to me. He'll play every week, I'll play him. And he went, yeah. I says, I says you see the, the football we play? And he went, yeah, yeah. He says, so when I'm in Bolton, I phoned him. He says, yeah, he can come. So Jack Walsh come in, first, first training session and you'll know this. There's a myth in England that the boys from the, the south are a wee bit softer uh-huh. than the lads from the north. So Jack's come up for London, first training session, we're playing a possession and uh, Jack gets the ball and Kevin Davis, the captain, who was the strongest man in the world, Kevin Davis just comes for the side and boom, batters him. Jack just spinning through the air and falls on the ground and Kevin Davis just stood over him and said, you all right, Jack? <laughs> so Jack just looked up and said, yeah, fine, Skipper, thanks. So I let him go, just got on me. In a couple of minutes later, Kevin Davis gets the ball, goes to turn out, as you do, a striker. As he turns out, Jack Wiltshire arrives. Bang. Sends Kevin Davis spinning. Yeah, he falls and Jack looks over him. Says, you all right, skipper? <laughs> and to be fair to Kevin Davis, Kevin Davis says, that'll do for me, Jack. Brilliant, he just wanted, And the thing about Jack, out with all his ability, Jack's as hard as nails. Jack's a tough little, he's a, he's a tough little player. And, uh, and I knew then, he's ready. Went straight in the team, played every game for us. It was Great football player. Yeah, we were, I mean, we were, in terms of, Young players and identifying them. We always had a good eye for young players. Uh, Daniel Sturridge and boys like him. We utilised that loan system because at the time when we went into Bolton, we'd owed so much money. We were having to cut back. The, the, the budget for the, for the wages had to be cut. So we were cutting every year. But that following year, you don't know if you're aware of this or not, we actually had Bolton in the top six for three quarters of that season. We yeah. went to the semi-final of the FA Cup and then we lost Stuart Holden, who I'd signed for nothing from Houston Dynamo uh, on, on, on a Bosman. Centre midfielder, wasn't he? Oh, uh-huh. sensationally was. He'd uh-huh. have been a top 
He did. He, he got caught against Manchester United and a tackle with, with Johnny Evans and he never ever came back from it. And he, I couldn't replace him. We didn't have like for like and he was a huge part of our team. And uh, but as I say, for for where we were, the budget we were, I said to to bolt in that top six for you know three quarters of the season, whatever it was, it kind of petered out towards the end of that. But it was uh, it was sensational. Brilliant. Uh, the third season in charge, you got relegated by a point. Yeah. How, how frustrating. Well, it was because obviously in the back of that, as I said, we'd been cutting back. Mm -hmm. uh, but then in the January, we it was against my wishes, I've got to say. But we sold Gary Cahill. He was out of contract in the summer, so he was going to leave for nothing. And they end up taking six or seven million for. Uh, from Chelsea for him, which was away under his value. I mean, the year before, we'd agreed £17.5 million plus Ned Manoa from Manchester City. So that deal was worth about £22.5 and it fell through because Gary Cook, who was the chief executive at the time, and Roberto Mancini, I think they had a little disagreement. That. So anyway, the transfer never got concluded, so Gary stayed with us. And to be honest, Bolton would have been better keeping Gary for that money because you'd obviously stayed up uh. all day with Gary Cale in your team. And just a true story with him because people look at these footballers and they think this and that. Gary Cahill, the deal was agreed for Gary Cahill on the Monday Monday night, and I phoned him, I said, Gary, it dragged on for two weeks, but eventually get agreed on the Monday night. I said, Gary, that's everything sorted for you go to Chelsea, I wish you all the best. He says, no, Gaffer, he says, I'll see you tomorrow night. We were playing Everton on the Tuesday night at Goodison. I said, but they've agreed the deal. I said, and I'm just thinking of the kid now, thinking of Gary, he says, God forbid something happens. He says, no, Gaffer, he says, I'll be there to help the boys. And after the game then, I'm joining Chelsea. So You played in the game? Well, not only the play, you might have remembered the game because it was it was the night that uh, Big Adam Bogdan, who's at Hibs, uh, think we scored against him, Tim Howard. Oh, okay. Uh. He kicked the ball and it was a horrible wind. The ball spun oh, over Adam's head. He came to get it, and we found ourselves one nothing down. I remember Tony Sandy because when things are going against you, think how much bad luck can you get? But then David and Gog equalised. Gary Cale scored the winner. Brilliant. We beat them two one. The reason I tell that story is because I think it's easy to you know players get rubbish for this and that, and, but. That was a player that wanted to be there for his teammate. It was easy for him to say, see you I'm later, I'm away to Chelsea, I'm going to go and win a league in a Champions League, which he did. Uh, but no, I'm going to stay, I'm going to help the players and just man. sums the boy up. Uh, you left Bolton early in the Championship season. Yeah, I think, as, as you do, we on on that last season, sorry, on that, we uh, we end up with four cruciate ligament injuries. Uh, young Mark, Marcus Alonso broke his foot twice. I say Marcus... Alonso's for, at Chelsea, yeah. I say Marcus uh -huh. for one million, one million euros from Real Madrid. Uh -huh. I'd also agreed to sign Rodrigo Moreno for one million euros. And what happened was Rodrigo then, got, as we had agreed the deal, Rodrigo got used as a makeweight and Di Maria was going from Benfica to Real Madrid and Rodrigo got used as that to go to Real Madrid. They said he was all worth like five million euros in the deal. So then what I did is I actually went to Benfica and got, I couldn't buy him because obviously, but I got Rodrigo in loan for a year. Right. So Rodrigo and Marcus both played for me in the, in the Premier League. Marcus broke his foot twice that year. The injuries were horrendous. And obviously then, then Fabrice, uh, St. Patrick's Day in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup at White Hart Lane, Fabrice obviously collapsed in the pitch. And God willing, he made an unbelievable recovery and just a gem of a lad. So we'd, we'd loads of stuff to cope with. Even through all that, we got to the last day of the season and if we'd won at Stoke, we'd stay up. And uh, the game ended up two each. We got to see Chris Foy, who's a referee, the, the biggest nightmare you'll ever see in your life. One of the first goal, Jonathan Walters, it was like a throwback to the 50s mm -hmm. when the centre-forward bundles the goalkeeper over the line, which he did, with Adam was in the goals. And then the second one, Crouch, Peter Crouch, took a bad touch and then knocked it and just fell over for a bit. Anyway, we lost two each in that and uh, we drew two each and lost out on that day which was horrible to take and then as you do when obviously you move into the next season again we had to, you do one or two things I think that, that most teams do they have a cut back or 
you spend a lot of money to get back up, which likes Newcastle did, West Ham, and were successful in doing it. But because Bolton owed money, they had to keep cutting back and cutting back. Mm-hmm. So we obviously, we never did start we want in terms of being in about the top six. We are just, I think we were at mid-table or whatever. And then we, we decided, uh, Phil's, he's not here now, God rest him, my chairman, Phil Gartside, he was outstanding for me. But obviously Eddie, the owner, uh, we came to an agreement that we'd, we'd, we'd part ways. See, so, uh, see your experiences in the Premier League, Jink, you, have, you had a team that had financial backing and, and secure, you'd have done really well in the Premier League. I've got no doubts about it. I mean, everywhere we were, we, we punched above our weight. And that probably is partly the trait of growing up in Scotland. You've had to work hard with, with what you have and, and treat things well. But uh, yeah, absolutely. I love my time. Really good, a lot of good people we met. But you're right, if you've got that backing, that funding, of course, you can achieve great things. Is it frustrating that people forget what a good job you've done at these places? Well, football's football. I mean, it's, it's the same as I was a player. I mean, I played at all different levels as a player. You work your way up and then maybe you drop down and you come again. That's what football does. But what you do is you pick yourself up and you go again. And when the next opportunity comes about, as it all do, then you go and you make the very best of that. But uh, at the end of the day, you know what you've done, you know what you're capable of. And that speaks for itself. So looking to get back in it? If it's the right thing, I've been offered a couple of things, home and abroad. I've just not felt it's been what would what would suit for me. But if it comes, and I know it's the right thing, it doesn't have to be, as I said before, I just always like working with, uh, in a situation, you know, you've got players that are going to give their all for, for and you can add a little bit of quality to help. And, uh, and and working with good people always helps. Oh, and it's been a pleasure. Thanks no, very much. Loved it. Cheers. Loved it. Thank you. Pleasure, Cheers. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.